0: Here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin.
1: Hey everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm so excited today because I have one of my favorite guests. He is Dr. Andrew Whitman and you can talk to him, look at him, listen to him, do all sorts of great things on his website at Get. WarriorTough.com. If you want to read one of his books that I'm a big fan of seven secrets of resilience for appearance, you can order that right now. He is mental toughness redefined. He's also such a great guy. He's a dad. He's got super kids. He's he's been married a long time. He's a man of great faith. So he really embodies the spirit of everything I hope for in producing these shows. So Dr. Whitman, welcome to the show. Thanks
2: for having me back. You're one of my favorite people on the planet, Sandra.
1: <laughs> we do have a good time. And I love when I have you on the show because no matter how many times I do shows on success, I always learn something new from you.
2: Oh, you're so sweet. Well, you know what? Because I'm constantly learning, right? Because if you're not learning and growing, then you're in like a dying cycle.
1: It's true. It's true. And, you know, when I read your book, um, well, I read both of your books, actually. I was surprised at how much the mental game affects our outcome. You know, we all think about luck and we hear things about, you know, you got to get educated, you got to do this, you got to do that. But at the end of the day, none of those tools work unless you're in the right frame of mind, unless you have that mental game down.
2: Right. And that's, so that's what I call getting the cart before the horse, right? We all have heard of that, right? So a lot of times we chase, outcomes instead of, you know, so we're chasing the result, um, instead of fixing how to, with the process to get us to the result. And if you don't fix yourself first from the and I call it ground zero, right. And then push your airspace out. If you don't take care of yourself at ground zero, which is the mental game, the emotional game, um, then everything else, um, it, it really, you can't sustain it because as soon as you get to where you think that you would want to be, you're going to be there. And if you don't fix you, you're bringing all the baggage with you.
1: Well, and I think it also even goes deeper than that because, you know, when I get up in the morning, I I call it taking my daily meds, but they're really taking my daily meditations because if I'm not right inside, I'm not good for my kids, not good for my clients. I am not good for anybody. So I have to take that centering time in the morning for myself before I can do anything else. It it just, it, it doesn't happen any other way. Otherwise I feel like I'm flying blind.
2: I'm 100% with you and I have my own little, you know, you call it a ritual or whatever you want. But yeah, when my feet hit the deck, I actually have like this two to three minute, you could call it an affirmation a prayer, a meditation. But it's it's the same thing. I've been saying it to myself so that my ears can hear it and my entire, you know, my entire being hears it as soon as my feet hit the deck, no matter where I am on the planet, whether I was in a combat zone, not a combat zone, wherever I'm at, it doesn't matter. Um, It's been my practice since the early 90s to, you know, say this over and over again. And so I do do the same thing that you're talking about. If you don't center yourself and get ready to attack the day, you're going to be off kilter.
1: Absolutely. And today's show is talking about where willpower meets action. And I have found, especially as I get older, I don't know if I just recognize how futile willpower can be and how fickle it can be, or maybe my willpower muscle is getting... Weaker. I really don't know, but I do know I have to set myself up for success. And if I don't set my environment up, if I don't set my car up, my gym bag, like everything that I use during the day for success, I can't rely on my willpower. My willpower is not consistent.
2: Right. And what we've, and this science backs it up. So what we found out scientifically is that willpower is just like your bicep or your tricep or any of your muscles, right? They fatigue, it fatigues very, very quickly. Now it can get stronger the more that you work it out, but let's just be straight up. Even if you were a triathlete, that's very, very temporary. How long you, I mean, you're done in a day, right? I mean, even if you maxed everything out one day is like the most that it's going to last.
1: Right. Well, and you know, when I look at the things that hit us midlife, you know, Um, weight changes, uh, structural changes in your family. You know, maybe we lose parents. Maybe our kids go off to college. You know, there's a time of great change that happens at midlife. And that's where I found that I really need to set up success logically. I need to do it intentionally. And, Mm. you know, when you talked about the morning, my morning routine ritual actually starts the night before, for the last maybe five or six years, I've been setting my intentions before I go to bed. It's the very last thing I do before I close my eyes. I have a little journal, and it's got a heart on it. And it, you know, it says, trust in the Lord. And it, it comforts me. And I write three sentences about my intention for when I wake up in the morning. And I swear to God, when I get up in the morning, I am so much more grounded than if I just flop into bed and fall asleep.
2: Yeah. And let me ask you this, Sandra. I'm always curious. Like, does yeah. it When you do write the three sentences compared to when you don't, like when you do do the journal compared to when you don't, do you find that you sleep better when you do write it?
1: Absolutely. (laughs) It's almost like, you know, I have this thing in my bathroom that my dad gave me when I was a little girl. It It says like, walk by my daughter with your by her side and keep your hand over her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. And I, you know, I think of that cause it, I keep it in my bathroom cause it reminds me to be mindful of my speech of what I say to people, how I talk to people. But when you set those intentions and you can call them prayers and they're not a to-do list.
2: Right. It, right.
1: They're really simple. Like my one last night was um, I wrote that, My intention for tomorrow is to have the energy and the wisdom and the grace to do seven hours of radio and please make my hunt down. That's what I call it when I hunt down things on the show, make my hunt down effective and powerful and popular.
2: See, I love that, that it's not a to-do list. Like this is a key. This is a huge key because when you get into the to-do list, now you're trying to exercise that with the weakness, the willpower, which is weak. Right. We, even at, like I said, even if you maxed it out, it's only good for a day. Right. right. Um, so I, I love that you're not t- trying to muscle it. That's what people try to do with willpower is muscle it. And when you have a to-do list like that, instead of an operating system, right. Cause that's what you're doing with that intention. You're like setting how my system is going to operate throughout the day. Not do I attack this task, that task, the next task, and did I get it checked off? So I, I love what you're doing with that.
1: Well, and sometimes I add in there um, my one for last night because now I have two teenagers in my house. I had one teenager <laughs> a month ago, now I have two. And between the protein powders and the chicken breasts and the
2: testosterone, you name
1: it, what they're going through, yeah. uh-huh. I also say that I'm going to have pa- as much patience, like last night's was you know, tomorrow I'm going to have as much patience for my kids as I give to my clients. (laughs) Because that's
2: great. That's fantastic.
1: I know myself. And I know that if I don't hold myself accountable, I can get off track. And, you know, we're often most unkind to our family members because we come home, we let down. And those are the very people that we should be putting at the top of the patients list.
2: Right. It's what I call the dog that you could kick, right? Because the dog will love you no matter what. So you'll be mad at work or whatever. So you take it out on the dog. And that's what we do with our family members because they love us no matter what. So we, we kind of, uh, you know, take advantage of their love by, you know, uh, not acting right in front of them. And when you're right, we should have it reversed. Like I kind of do like, so, (laughs) you know, if you're in my, in my inner circle, you know, not to say that we don't hold each other accountable and all that, but I will uh, go to the mat for you and protect you, right? And, and I'll make sure that, that you get my kindness and my best before anybody else does. And again, it doesn't always make me popular outside the house. <laughs> my tight circle loves it. They can always count on me and that this, you know, my house is a sanctuary, right? So that's what when, when you come into my airspace, I want you to be, you want to, it's a safe zone. Like this is where, you know, there's no bad behavior allowed in here towards each other. Towards anyone else, it's just like our area of peace, right? And if you set that bubble up, it makes it a whole lot easier um, to move forward and get the stuff done that you need to do in order to be successful, however you define success.
1: Well, and that you know, you you said something interesting because I always call my house the place of peace. You know, this is the place of peace. You know, we don't scream and yell, we don't throw things, we don't have tantrums. But beyond that, we also have time to just exist. And, you know, no matter what technology gives us, it doesn't give us more time. And so if we don't take that. <laughs> right. right. I mean, you think about how it speeds up everything. The only thing I can't do is give us more time. So if you're in a place of peace, that's a place of creativity. That's a place of growth. That's a place of reflection and I think that's what my nightly journal does. You know, my little nightly intentions is it allows me to reflect on my day and where I can get better because I do know I can't rely on willpower and I want to take action in the things that matter because it's really easy Mm. to take actions in areas of our life because they're fun, because they're easy. They might give you a lot of positive feedback right away, but rarely does that lead to success. And now, let's take a minute to hear
3: from our sponsor. 80% of all doctor visits are stress-related. 80% of tension headaches are caused by stress. Most heart attacks occur around 9 a.m. on Monday. Stress is a major factor of anxiety, panic attacks, depression, and aggression, not to mention insomnia, and an estimated 24 million Americans use drugs to cope with stress. Depressing, isn't it? You're meant to live a happy, fulfilled life, and it is possible. Andrew Whitman can show you the way out. The way to deal with stress, to achieve, to break through limitations, and have an internal identity that calms the storm. Whether it's work or home, financial or emotional, get the tools you need to cope with the obstacles life brings you and still have peace. Mental training one-on-one will help you get what you want out of life. Visit GetWarriorTough.com to see testimonials from people just like you. Take control of stress. Get WarriorTough.com.
1: And now back to Dr. Andrew Whitman.
2: No, it doesn't actually. I mean, it's funny that you said that that we get that positive feedback. And this is interesting because what will happen is people will give the, uh, say the reason, but it's the excuses for not taking the actions that they should. Right, and they'll and they'll use a talking point or a complaint or a justification, and then someone will sympathize with them, right? Because we're like, oh yeah, yeah. So then they get positive feedback from giving that excuse of why they didn't get. Like, so someone who who always loves to be miserable or sick all the time, right? My ailments, this, my ailments, that. I wish I could work out, but I, you know, this, that, you know, uh, my sciatica, you know, the gout, the. And so people are like, oh, that's oh, man, that's awful, right? So when they get the, that's awful. That's a positive feedback. So then you keep doing it. After about three times. You don't even realize what's coming out of your mouth because you're trying to get that dopamine hit by complaining and giving excuses of why you're not taking action.
1: Right. And you see it all the time. Um, my kids call it playing the, and this is so awful, but they call it playing the divorce card, playing the dead kid card. <laughs> you know, we have, a, we have a, a, a neighbor slash family member who lost a child and it's truly a, truly a terrible thing, but it was 35 years ago. And that card is still being played. And that's a card for instant sympathy. When somebody finds that your child has died and it's always funny to me and the kids, and maybe we kind of have a sick sense of humor, but the shock on people's faces when they find out that that child is older than them now.
2: Right. Right.
1: But people do what works for them. And, you know, even though it's a, you know, a tragedy and a terrible thing, there is a statute of limitations on getting sympathy and using those life events as an excuse. You know Yeah,
2: and the faster and the faster you can shut down the statute of limitations of that, the faster you can get back to life and living because they're not coming back. Right. Right. So take your time to grieve. And I think like you and I, we always talk about our faith, right? So I think that like the biblical tradition is like 30 days. After that, then it becomes a downward spiral. Like that's what the tradition was in the ancient times. It was 30 days. You know, you wear the the sackcloth, the ashes and the black and the, you know, and you mourn for 30 days. And then it's time to rub some dirt on it, drink some water and get back in the game of life.
1: Right. And that's, a, you know, that's a, that's a hard conversation to have with people. And that's where faith comes in, at least for me, you know, I'm a woman of great faith. So I believe my mother has life everlasting.
2: That's what right. I've
1: been raised.
2: Listen, so, this is so great, right? Because every time that you were with believers, people don't freak out about death. It's the unbelievers and the atheists that have a problem getting over. it. I'm hundred percent serious about this. Now I don't judge anybody, but I go to funerals. You know, I'm an ordained minister. I do funerals. And when you're at the funerals, if you're with a bunch of believers, they're all at peace because of their faith. And but the people that have no faith, they're freaking out.
1: Yep. Have you noticed that? Well, absolutely. They're they're fear-based, they're uncomfortable, they're they're in agony. And, you know, what when my mom passed away, my mom was my best friend, my greatest champion. I talked to her every day. What I lost, Andrew, was the physical form of my mom talking to her on the phone or maybe going shopping or, you know, doing whatever we used to do. Right. And I missed her and I missed that, but I didn't ever feel she wasn't still with me and wasn't still in a better place. And I think right. that's where our beliefs, you know, you kind of go, you talk about taking action. I took great action in my grief. First of all, I had to clean out my mom's entire house, right, top to bottom. And so that was kind of a big deal. And I I wanted everything to go to use. My mom had beautiful things. So, you know, cookware went to the church, you know, um, clothes and purses and shoes, you know, went to where they could be used, you know, at, at different, um, shelters. It was a lot of work for me to do that, but it was also a ritual and it was part of my grieving process. Right. And even though I missed her, I didn't have that angst that people have a lot when they lose a loved one and they don't have faith, whatever that faith looks like to them.
2: Right, and this is huge. Now I'm going to bring the science of it in, right? So whether you, whether people say whether, you know, scientifically I can't prove God or my version of whatever I believe or your version of faith or whatever your religion, but we know this, and anybody that has faith in a higher power, scientifically they're happier while they're here on the planet. Mm-hmm. Right, So even if, even if I scientifically can't prove that God's real, like to me, with my faith, it's making me happier. And the science, the empirical data is rock solid on that. People of faith, are, have, they're happier and they're more fulfilled here on the planet. They have less worry and angst, and they can work through all these major grief issues without it shipwrecking them. That's science. Yeah,
1: That's science. Well, and I tell my kids, because, you know, once my kids got to be teenagers, you know, they would challenge me, challenge the faith, challenge the belief, challenge the story, challenge, challenge, challenge. And at the end of the day, there's many things that I don't have the answers to. But I can look at them and say, guys, you can see your mom being a single mom, holding it together for 12 years. My life is better with faith.
2: Right. That's, and, that's I would say, that's, and I want to give you like more props than just holding it together. You've been very, very successful in a lot of, on a lot of levels, professionally, personally, as a parent, you know, as a child taking care of your parents. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, yeah. So give yourself a little bit more credit than just holding it together. Okay. Cause I'll give it to you if you won't. Give All give it. right. To
1: well, you. thank you. Thank you for that. But that's, that's where faith comes in because right. When you are juggling an eight to eighty household or, you know, was what was how I started and now we're whatever, thirteen to eighty-six. Mm-hmm. Patience, boy, those fruits of the spirit, man, they are like on my <laughs> kitchen wall. And sometimes I'm there chopping the onions, going, Patience, patience, patience. Um that's nope. funny
2: because that's one of the fir- that's one of those things that i say to myself that is i go through the, the fruit of the spirit in the morning you know that this is how i'm going to act right i tell myself body mind and emotions this is how we act this is who we are and then i go through them you know love joy gladness peace patience and even temper kindness goodness benevolence faithfulness gentleness meekness humility and self-control that's how you can see right
1: uh, that is so phenomenal i'm gonna i'm gonna add that to my morning ritual
2: yeah, I make myself say it every morning when I get out of bed it's the first thing. I mean, I'm on the way to the potty and I'm saying it, you know what I mean? Like I well, refuse to start my day without reminding myself of that.
1: Well, and because you've 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 been in combat, you've suffered great loss in your life, you know, you've you've had to make really tough decisions in your careers and you're a unique person I think in your skill sets and so you have to have some guiding principles that ground to. you every
2: day. Yes, 100%. If I was not anchored, I would have lost my mind. And there's <laughs> no way I would have been successful as a husband or a father at all. I would have just lost, you know, and, and, you know, you, but you're, you know, you know what the military is like, we just kind of lose our minds if you're not rooted and grounded.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, whether you're in, you know, in, in traditional style combat, or you're going into an environment, you know, Families can create a combative environment beyond belief. And so can unhealthy office situations. And many, many, many of our listeners go into those combative situations every day. They well, can have is... a difficult boss, difficult clients, difficult right. kids, difficult family members. You know, people you can't shoot, even though you'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't go there. No, no what go you're there. Saying but... is
2: 100, 100% right. And this is part of what I teach about dealing with stress is that, Physiologically, your body goes through the same stuff in those situations that you just said as we do in combat. The body does the exact same thing physiologically. So there's really no difference in how your body reacts to that stress, whether it's you're actually getting shot at or you're getting sniped at from your teenagers, your spouse, or you know, coworkers.
1: Well, and that's, it's so interesting you say that because I was reading this book uh, a couple of years ago about children in divorce, especially in, in fractious, contentious, high uh, stress, high combat uh, divorces, that the kids, the kids reflect very much the symptoms of post-traumatic stress yes. from the arguing parents.
2: A 100%. But it's not even a question. And in fact, I'll tell you this. This freaks people out, but there there is research to back this up, that divorce is worse on all the family members than a death of one of the spouses.
1: You know, I would tend to agree with that because there is a finality to death and there's One of the things that I find in in families with divorce, especially high-conflict divorce, and this is the thing that, you know, we talk about forgiveness. And, you know, forgiveness has a lot to do with willpower and action because Mm non-forgiveness can really stop those in their tracks. And, you know, in a death, you have grief, but there's a finality to it. In divorce, and I see this with some of the women's groups that I speak to, There's forgiveness, but then there's also continually re-forgiving that person for the offenses that you've experienced, not only during the marriage, but especially co-parenting after the marriage, because those two people don't really change that much in all honesty, whether they're married for 30 years and divorced for 10 The structure that blew them apart in the first place, whether it's an affair, whether it's a substance abuse, any of those things, still rears its ugly head again and again and again in the family dynamics, whether it's Christmas, whether it's a baby shower. One of my friends had her first grandbaby recently, and she and her ex-husband got into it at the hospital.
2: Yeah. No. And it, like you said, it's, it's, it's not just the, the old wounds. It's that they're continually being reopened or the scab keeps getting ripped off or there's new ones. Um, and so with the death, you, there, it scars up, right? The scar happens, the wound heals, and you can move on and scar is not there, but it doesn't, there's not an, it's not death by a thousand cuts and a new cut every other day or every other time there's a holiday or whatever. Right. So yeah. And then, and that affects the kids. It is a PTSD type, you know, thing for them.
1: It is absolutely. And that's where, you know, when we take action with things, I know during my divorce process, which was very high conflict, I had to get up in the morning and tell myself, do not react, do not respond. There's no reason to engage.
2: (laughs) And that is that, and right. And if you try to do that just on willpower, it's not going to work. No
1: no cuz somebody's going to push your buttons something's going to happen you're going to be tired or hungry or stressed right. out from work and you might say something you're not supposed to my ex-spouse and i happen to live one street away he's there with his new wife and his new family i could hit a i could probably hit a i know i could hit a golf ball there i probably could hit a softball there right. so that kind of close quarters makes yeah. for some challenges and if i'm not right. straight on my a game in the morning i will not be able to withstand fatigue, hunger, even heat, you know, we've had some tremendous heat in California, and that will make me more apt to not rely on willpower.
2: Right. Well, and we know, we know that, right. We know that as heat goes up, you know, in the summer times, crime rates go up.
1: Um,
2: so I, this is interesting, because let me just throw this out here is that, so we know that the willpower is going to fail. Right. Right, So, and we all know this saying that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's where the willpower, right? The flesh is, your willpower is always going to be weak. So where you want to take action is what we had talked about, like with your writing the three sentences, with doing our meditations in the morning, me saying my little, you know, my prayers or affirmations in the morning, right? Is I'm going to take action where, and I call this in my corporate stuff CEO of you right so I'm the executive of my boardroom body mind and emotions or the board of directors but I'm the executive of over I'm the one that's in charge of my body mind and emotions and which we would say is your spirit your human spirit will override that's the real you you live in a body and you have a mind and emotions so we want to take action that builds our spirit and strengthens our spirit if you will so we have spiritual fitness and then the other things will fall into line if you have a weak spirit you'll always be dominated by that emotional reaction.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's why, you know, for me, I have to put these, I call them guardrails in place. Like I have certain guardrails in place that make it impossible for me or almost impossible for me to fail. I know one of the big things about me keeping everything the way it needs to be is I need to work out for at least an hour a day. I mean, really work out. Yeah. So that's why I got spin certified at 50 years old or almost 50 years old. and I have a job. Part of my job is to go to the gym every day and teach these classes. And that allows me to not only feed my family, continue my income uh, for the year, but it also leaves no guardrails for me to run off the road and go, well, I'm not going to work out today. I'm too tired. I'm too this. I could do this work instead. When you're hired to do this, and that's one of the big decisions that I made, Annie, a couple years ago was – I was putting my physical health in second place and making sure mm. that the kids and my company and my clients were taken care of. And I didn't, I couldn't do the willpower thing. It didn't work for me. So I said, fine, I'm going to get certified. I'm going to get a job doing this. I'll get paid. And then I have to show up because I know myself, if somebody's paying me and I say, I'll do that job, I will be there dragging a bloody limb if I have to.
2: Right. And this is awesome because see, that's you knew yourself. And you said set up guardrails. I call it, you know, not giving yourself a backdoor. Right? Trying is lying. If you say, "Well, I'm going to try and work out," you know, you're not doing it. Right. But you committed, and you did it committed with a paycheck. Which, like, right? So, and if that's what it takes, then then you need to like set yourself up for that success, so that you override, right, the flesh, if you will. I don't feel like doing it today, or the emotions. I don't feel like doing it. See, and that's fantastic, genius, right there, is because you're aware of what your limitations are, and then you set up the workaround so that you're forcing yourself. So you're using your own system to your advantage instead of your disadvantage. And that's, what's awesome.
1: Thank you. Thank you. You know, I was, I was really pleased with it because when I gain weight, when I don't feel well, when I don't socialize with others, you know, those things tend to derail me. And when you sit down and this is where, you know, I found this great gold mine by going back through my day planners and go back through my to-do list. You know, I have these little, you know, fun little pads all over the house. This one says, today I'm a mermaid, tomorrow I'll be a unicorn. And I tend to write down my thoughts wherever I am. And I used to throw them away. And now I keep all of my shopping lists, my to-do lists, and I clip them together. And then when I have time, usually on a Sunday night, every couple months, I read through them. Because our lives are phenomenally repetitive. Yes. When I looked at like three months of grocery lists, other than a variation of like maybe ten or fifteen items, I buy the same twenty-five items every week, without fail.
2: Now let me ask you this: Sandra, do, you, do you do you try to buy those, or do you just buy them? It just like it just happens. It like just you weren't trying. Right. So here's the key to overcoming your willpower. We're all creatures of habit and we are extremely repetitive, right? And the way the brain works is that we take in these 11 million bits of information per second, but only 126 bits goes to our conscious mind. So what that tells me is 99% of all of the actions that we take are happening outside the conscious mind. They're non-conscious. They're a habit. It's autopilot, right? Just like buying your groceries. Mm -hmm. So this is is how you overcome that willpower. You set up those habits that you want to put into place that will produce results and you'll run them on autopilot in the background, like on a cell phone. It's like an app running in the background. That's what I do with my affirmations, my prayers, meditations, whatever you want to call it in the morning. That's an app that runs in the background. It's so ingrained in me that I literally, as soon as I get out of the bed, my mouth starts saying that it's like, it's, it's a habit. I, I couldn't, I don't even think about it. And in fact, if you interrupted me in the middle of it, I would not, I would have to pick up where I left off. I couldn't tell you where I because it's running in the background. I'm not consciously right. Running that app, and it's the same thing with the groceries. It's the same thing with working out. It's the same, anything that you want to be successful in in life. If you could set it up to be on
1: autopilot, you win. You I mean, win. there's you win. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I win every time I teach a class. I get the best work out of anybody. I cannot slack. Tell me, you cannot slack when you're teaching a class.
2: Right. right. Have you set it up so that now that it's so part of your life, it's ingrained that you would do it like automatically now, without even thinking Absolutely. about it? You know. You, same thing with setting up your bag the night before, right? I mean, oh, it should be a habit.
1: I have five gym bags. <laughs> They're five <laughs> different colors. Sunday nights, I pack them up. They're good to go. And even if a class cancels, like we had a class on uh, Monday for Labor Day. Yeah. And I usually teach the Monday 5 o'clock class. They're like, yeah, well, there's no class on Monday. We're not going to have classes. It's a holiday. I was there. I was still there at 5 o'clock.
2: Right, habit. See, this is what I'm talking So now you've beat the willpower game. Yep. Now you've overcome your willpower and you figured out how to build this program and habit to run in the background and now you've beat it, right? And that's the key on these action willpower versus or taking action for this willpower is to set up the habit. And, and, and listen, people try to break bad habits by stopping them. I, I never teach that. Let's just start new habits. The new habits will automatically overtake the old ones. Instead of just trying to stop something, let's try to start something else that'll replace it eventually.
1: Well, that was my four o'clock um, diet soda. You yeah. know, every day at four o'clock, I would start looking at the clock, feel myself. <laughs> <eating>. <laughs> right. I'd run right. out, get myself a diet soda. And I'd be like, <sighs> and then I'd be pouring it going oh, this uh, great, And, and, you know, but yet I would still be sitting at my desk programming and then wonder why like an hour later I'm hungry and even crabbier than I was at four. So I started, I joined a class that, Works out at 4:30, like between 4 and 4:30 every day, so I couldn't just rely on my diet coke or diet pepsi break, and it started this whole big thing, and now I teach the class. So you That's don't so know
2: awesome. when That's you so replace
1: something one with another, because you're right. Yeah. If you just told me I couldn't have that diet soda at four o'clock, four forty-five. I don't care how much yeah, that ain't gonna
2: work, have, right?
1: I'm ripping your head off,
2: right? That's not gonna. It doesn't work. And we know this in neuroscience, that if you say, like, don't eat the chocolate cake, your brain cut, cuts off the word don't, and right. what's left is eat the chocolate cake. So try to phrase things in a positive way, not, I'm not going to, don't do this, don't do that. And that's why I tell my kids, it's never don't do this, don't do that. I give them something else to do that gets them off not doing that.
1: Right. I mean, these are like brain games that we have to play with ourselves. Now, when you talked about, like, I'm, I'm still fascinated by that rote memory, um, fruits of the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> did you, when you were doing that, did you write it out and then did. say it over and over again? Like, did you yes. truly program your own brain and then I did. it became automatic?
2: Yes. And I, and my, my kids and my wife, they all did. So I wrote them out and it's actually like, there's three different ones. That one I call the heavenly nature, right? So I'm going to act like my heavenly father. So then that's the fruit of the spirit. Then the next one, is I, I read it right out of, I call it the Ephesians prayer, because it's the Paul, it's the prayer that Paul wrote, and he prayed for the Ephesians, and he also said that's what the prayer the Holy Spirit prays for us, so I'm like, well, if it's good enough for the Holy Spirit to pray, and good enough for the Apostle Paul, right, maybe I should be praying it, so I just took that out of the word, right, and I'm just basically quoting that prayer out of Ephesians, and then the last one I called, I say the body prayer, but I'm speaking to my body, and I tell it what I want to do, because whose body is it? It's my body, right, right, so I tell it, you know, uh, how to act right, sickness and symptom free, right? Right. <laughs> I wanted to, you know, I want all my muscles and my blood vessels and my cells and all the systems in my body to function in the perfection they were created to function. I tell my body that, so it hears it, right? Um. And I used to do, this, I, I, you know, in my first book, I talked about how I was the fat kid in high school, and then I went to Marine Corps boot camp, beach and ball. the thing, right? Beach ball. Thank you. Thanks for me. <laughs> the thing that I hated more than anything on the planet was running. The only thing I hated more than running was more running, right? And what do you do? In Marine Corps boot camp? is run. And I changed what I would say about running. I would say, I love running. I'm an athlete. Here I am, this fat guy, 50 pounds overweight. I can hardly run three steps. And I'm saying to myself, man, I'm an ultra marathoner. I'm an Olympic athlete. I love running. I'm a world-class runner. Running is my friend. And I'm saying this over and over again, but pretty soon what happened is I started to believe it. And then I would like, I would go out for 20 mile runs on a weekend just because I liked it. Like, and that's just ridiculous because there's no way that would ever been me, but that's how I'm using the brain, right? And use how our body, mind and emotions work to my advantage instead of working against me. When we say stuff like, oh, I hate running. I could never do that. Like check that self-talk because what you're doing is creating that habit of telling yourself you can't do it. So you've established a self-limiting belief and now that becomes the habit of you believe you can't do it and then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You can't.
1: And you can you can, you create these beliefs these limiting beliefs which you can I don't know if the words uncreate them or dismantle them or recreate them because I had the same thing you know I was a swimmer I swam from the time I was four years old through college so I can swim but I couldn't run is what I thought yeah. and so when I when I when I moved into this neighborhood and there was a gym literally a mile away like you cannot go anywhere in and out of the community without passing it so I joined it. And the first thing I said after I was filling out all the paperwork, I thought to myself, oh, I hate going to the gym. And I was like, what a stupid thing.
2: Shame
1: on you. (laughs) Um, And then I went back to what I learned in third grade. Remember when we used to learn how to spell and you had to write it out three times? Yeah. You know, like write it out three times the next day, write it out three times. I thought, and I decided 20 was a good number for me. So I decided for the next like, However long, maybe 30 days, right before I sit down and go to work, I'm gonna write, I love going to the gym. I love going to the gym. And recently somebody said to me, Oh, you go to the gym every day. I go, Oh, I love going to the gym. (laughs) (laughs) I see
2: it worked. No, it it works. It's a hundred right, you're brainwashing. You're washing the garbage out and putting and you know, washing out that dirt and then putting the right stuff in there. So yes, to answer your first question, I wrote it all down and then every day I would just read it every day, every day, every day. And pretty soon I found out that I had it memorized. I didn't try to memorize it. I was just reading it with my eyes on the paper every day. And then, I don't know, it's been like 20 years now, right? And I'm just spitting it out like like it's just part of breathing now.
1: Well, it's like when I was a little girl, we had the act of contrition you know, and you go Mm. and, you know, they say, oh, do the act of contrition. I can still do the act of contrition, you know, this side, upside, downwards and backwards. And sometimes when I really screw up, like if I goof up at work or I make a bad mistake with the kids or make some, you know, whatever error and I'm beating myself up, I'm like, oh my God, I'm heartily sorry for my sins because I have been so good serving of all my love. You know, and I go right back to those things, but I will do that over and over until I can get into that place of forgiveness and not beating myself up anymore.
2: Right. And whatever your process is, and this is what I try to tell everybody, like what my process is, is going to be different than your process and different from everybody else. I, I take from whatever, you know, I, I look for people more successful than I am. And then I take what I can from their process that works for me. So I don't tell anybody just do what I do or try to force my process on them because I'm not even, you know, it works for me. I take, I'm, you know, I'm not copying somebody else's problem, taking the pieces of the other and build my own process. And so if that's your process to do the act of contrition, then you should do it. If it makes you work through the thing right. better and work through your emotions, then do it. Like I never tell, I don't judge, people like, well, don't judge me. Cause I'm like, no, if it works for you, this is what like, you have. To, like, I love it that you have a process. Right. But, you know, that's the best thing is that you come up with one.
1: Right. Because you, you need to have these guardrails or these provisions in place to keep yes. going.
2: Absolutely. You know, my
1: dad always calls me the Bobo girl. You know, my, you know, those, the Bobo doll. I was like, blow up dolls. Yeah. And it comes back up. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you know, in my divorce, I got hammered, you know, the court hammered me as being a, a, you know, full-time working mom and and the breadwinners. So, you know, it was really kind of a whole ass backwards process. And I get up every day and my dad's like, you know, you pound her down, she just comes
2: back back up. up. Yeah. That's fantastic.
1: But I couldn't come back up. Like it's not natural. I put provisions in place. I put, like you, I harvest tools from people who are more successful to me and then incorporate them in as my own. But I think at the root of all of it, when all hope is lost, that's where faith saves me every single time. Because when you have faith, all hope is never lost. Like you can never get to that very low point. Because you just go, okay, God, see me through this. God, deliver me through this. God, whatever it is, Your will, I'm going to move my feet.
2: Right, and then, and I think that's the I think that's the bottom line on believing in a higher power, whatever your know, your version of you know. And again, because I don't like to tell people right. what their process is, what works for them, right? But and I think that's the bottom line, though, that we know that there's something bigger than ourselves, and that you know we haven't lost. There isn't, even though I'm, I, it's beyond what I can do. I know that there's someone else out there that's fighting for me. Um, that's bigger than me. And that gives me great solace.
1: Me too. Me too. Because you just have to look around and whether you look at a hurricane or a plant or, you know, a baby being born, if you look at the signs through nature, there's yeah. something there. You know, I don't want <laughs> <it> to.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. I always let, you know, because, I'm, I'm, I'm big time into science, right? I'm big time into it, right? I want to know the hard science, but I always tell you, I'm also, you know, my PhDs in theology. So I've done a lot of studying. I'm, I always laugh. I would say like science always backs up, you know, the holy scriptures, like whichever one of your scriptures, none of the scriptures go against science. None right. of them, whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter any of the books, whether it's the Koran, the Torah, the Talmud, you know, the writings of Buddha, they all back science up. It's all, those things are all about our behavior and how do we approach life and our mindsets. Which that that doesn't go against science.
1: No, no, it doesn't.
2: And how we should treat each other—that doesn't go against science. Like I like I don't get why someone has to like you have to be mutually exclusive. I'm like they help each other.
1: Right, and if you look at many of the great scientists, it was okay for them, especially historically, for faith and science to coexist. Why does one have to mutually exclude the other?
2: Right. So in my world, it doesn't, right? And if you, if it is for you, I don't judge you, man, whatever works for you. But I know, and again, go back to, and this is again, uh, anecdotal, yes, but I will call it my in-house research. When I go to funerals, right? Believers, people that have a faith system, I'm not saying they're one faith or another, but they, they have a faith system. They're much more at peace than people that don't have a faith system. Sure.
1: Well, faith at its core for, for, human beings is a toolkit. If you look at it, if you deconstruct it, it gives you a set of right and wrong. It gives you a set of skills to, to overcome, gives you a set of skills to forgive and to forgive yourself, which I think a lot of times when people don't forgive themselves and they constantly beat themselves up, or maybe they use tools that don't work for them in the long run, faith gives you this great toolkit to be successful.
2: I'm with you. And, and and that's where I would say, instead of focusing on the weakness of willpower, take the action and build that part of your system and your toolbox, because those things will always overcome. Those faith tools will always overcome all the garbage um, and the drama and the combat that you're up against. Always.
1: Always, 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 always. And also look through your old to-do list. Look through your day planner. Look at what Like, I looked through those, um, Andrew, because I wanted to see what wasn't getting done. What was I missing? Where was I failing? You know, I didn't go back and look and go, ooh, look at how much I did that. Aren't I great? I'm like, what constantly got canceled? And my workouts constantly got canceled for work or kids. So how do I make it so that I don't feel guilty taking my time away from those two things And how do I make it work for me? And that's what I look through in my to-do list. Go, where are the holes? Where are the mistakes? Where's the repetition? Where can I streamline and create structure so that there isn't room for failure?
2: You know what? And again, I said this before, but you're like, you're knocking it out of the park. Like you're like the dream client of mine, right? If I had to coach somebody. Like for you to do that, I mean, it's just, it's so rare. But if people listen to what you're saying and they begin to adopt those things, the things, you know, they would see so much success, fulfillment, and happiness in their life. And success, again, however they define it. But I think all of us have like the same definition of fulfillment and happiness, right? I mean, we know when we're fulfilled or we're not, and we know when we're happy or not. Success could be, you know, different things for different people. But I think fulfillment and happiness, if you do those things that you did, uh, you know, I I think your fulfillment and happiness meter went up over time because you made course corrections.
1: Absolutely, because most of the most of the things I was frustrated with or um, let myself down or didn't hit my goal targets, the secret is in the past. The secret is looking through your life. And the only way you can really examine your life, you know, yeah, you can sit back and reflect, but realistically, when you get your day planner and you look at your to-do list and you look at all this stuff, you get a really good idea of where your time goes.
2: Yeah, that's the hard data. I love that.
1: Yeah, we love hard data. All right, so how can people find out more about you? I know we've got your website, getwarriortough.com. What do you got coming up?
2: Yeah, I'm working on, the, again, that the Inner um, innerarmor.us is the app for, for spiritual fitness. It's a daily workout of the day that actually does increase your willpower, but it's a little spiritual workout. Um, kind of like the stuff that we were talking about. It's an eight minute thing. There's a three minute video, what I do. And then I have some critical thinking questions for you to kind of journal, right, for yourself. And then you can go back and look at your answers. And that, and again, same thing that you were talking about. Um, and that's what we're doing at InnerArmor.us.
1: InnerArmor.us. All right. Dr. Andrew Whitman, his book, Seven Secrets of Resilience for Parents. And what was your other one before this? Uh, Ground
2: Zero go. Leadership. Yeah. Ground Zero Leadership CEO of You. Yeah. They're both on Amazon.
1: Terrific. Terrific. All right. We will be back again next week. Um, We are going to be talking also to Dr. Andrew Whitman next week. And we're going to talk about facing your fears. So you're not going to want to miss that. We'll be back again next week.
0: From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up Talk Radio is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they'd always dreamed of. Each week, Powered Up Talk Radio explores innovative ways to stay focused in a world that's experiencing dramatic changes. Find out who you are, discover your purpose, and challenge yourself to be all you can be.